Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the morning services. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. We're continuing with the book of Ruth this morning. And this morning it's Ruth chapter 2. Ruth meets Boaz. Now Naomi had a relative in her husband's side of the clan of Eliminach, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I find favour. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, began to clean, glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they called back. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, Who does that woman belong to? The overseer replied, She is a Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting, and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to touch you, and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground, and she exclaimed, Why have I found such favour in your eyes, that you notice me, a foreigner? And Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother, your homeland, and came to live with the people you do not know. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favour in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have given me comfort, and have spoken kindly to your servant, but do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread, dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted, and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull out some stalks for her for the bundles 
Leave them for her to pick up, and do not rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it mounted about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over, after she'd eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one whose place she'd been working. The name of the man I work for today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added that that man is our close relative. He's one of our kin's redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean till the barley and wheat harvest are finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everybody. Let's just pray as we start, shall we? Father God, we thank you for the freedom to be here in church this morning. We pray that you would give us soft hearts to hear what you want us to. Amen. Well, we're into the second month of 2022, and the dominant headlines are pretty grim, aren't they? Whether we're talking about international diplomacy, pandemics, or is it endemics now? fallen heroes. We're bombarded from every side by scenarios that can leave us feeling very bleak. If you use social media, however, or if you regularly read a newspaper, I have a feeling you may have heard about something else that is going on. This is an online activity that is apparently simple and accessible. It has gone viral but not in a COVID way. One headline described it as a little oasis in a messy world. (laughs) And the devotion of its fans meant that in Seattle this week, one woman actually realised her mother-in-law was in trouble because she hadn't contacted her that day about completing the puzzle. So it even saves lives. What am I talking about? I wonder if you can guess what it is. Yes, it is. I'm talking about the game of Wordle, this seemingly addictive word game that has become one of the features of countless Facebook and Twitter posts and many, many inches of newspaper column as people compete to find the word of the day in fewer goes than others. This game involves guessing the predetermined five-letter word of the day in six goes or less. The real pros... You know who you are. Can do it in three goes or less. 
One of the things people love about Wordle is it can only take a few minutes of your day, but it's time that doesn't feel wasted because you're exercising your grey cells. If you haven't tried it yet, it is worth Googling it and having a go for no other reason than it really is an activity that means your mind is grappling with something other than reading stressful news headlines. Anyway, why am I talking about this? As I was pondering the game of Wordle this week, I suddenly thought to myself, Wordle is a bit like being a Christian. And then I started to look at Ruth chapter 2 and thought, this is actually a bit like Wordle. Fear not if you have never played Wordle. I am not going to lose you at the first... It's a six-letter word, but I'll let you have it. Let me show you as we dive into today's chapter how we're going to use three steps that are involved in the game of Wordle to look at this chapter and encourage us as we try to live as Christians. So my first step will be that Wordle is a game of perseverance. You see, you could be tempted to give up pretty quickly at the first failed attempt, but there are hooks to help you along. You start by guessing a word, and it's a bit like that old-fashioned game of mastermind. I don't know if you remember that with the pegs. You're given help with which letters are in the right place, which letters are in the wrong place but right, and which letters aren't in today's word. So you see, when you don't know the answer on Wordle, you work with the bits you know to find the bits you don't know. You work to understand something that is not at all clear at first, and you persevere and don't give up. My second point will be that part of Wordle's success has come because it is so much talked about. People love to post on social media or talk to their friends on WhatsApp about how many rounds it took to reach today's word and what their record is. You could, of course, play on your own, but part of the joy is the social aspect of everyone joining in. You see, we tell people something about our lives when they find out we're playing Wordle. We show them where our interests lie and what we enjoy doing. So the second part of my talk will be what we learn from Ruth chapter 2 when our lives are on show. And my third point is that Wordle, step by step, is a journey. We make progress along the Wordle ladder by considering the letters from the words behind us and focusing ahead to what is next. In Wordle, everyone is playing the same puzzle. We're all trying to guess the same word, but each of us is finding a different path to get to the end. In the same way, each of us who found faith and hope in Jesus have done so by a different way, and we are all living a different life journey, aren't we? As we think about the second chapter of Ruth, we'll be thinking about how our life story plays out, both backwards and forwards. So let's begin by looking at how this chapter encourages us to persevere when it might feel simpler to just give up. Chapter one has ended with the two women bereft and with Ruth having left all that was familiar to return with Naomi to Bethlehem. 
The women had learned in Moab that the famine that had driven Naomi to leave her home country had ended, and they arrived back together in Naomi's hometown at the time of the barley harvest. We've learned something of the strength of Ruth's character from chapter one, as Clive unpacked that for us last week. She not only chose to accompany Naomi, but she also gave those beautiful words of promise that she would not leave her mother-in-law, but would stay utterly devoted to her. Now we see the quality of perseverance as Ruth makes good on her promise. I wonder if she was tempted to go back on her vow once she said these amazing words. It would have been easy to give up and stay behind in familiar Moab, maybe. But she digs in. In verse 2 of chapter 2, we see that she offers to go out and find grain because they have no food to eat. They don't have an income. So Ruth is going to walk along behind the farm workers and pick up grain that hasn't been gathered into sheaves. This Mosaic law is found in several places in the Old Testament. For example, in Deuteronomy 24, verse 19, when we're told, when you're harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, don't go back to get it, leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. We need to remember that this gleaning was not going to be pleasant work for Ruth. Not only would it have been completely backbreaking. But walking into a field as a gleaner was not the sort of job you wanted to have when you were six years old, chatting about what you were going to do with your friends in the playground when you grew up. There are still some jobs in our society that only those who are desperate for work or whose conditions are destitute would choose to do today, aren't there? Gleaning in Ruth's time showed that you were so poor you were willing to forego your dignity and depend on the kindness of others. Ruth is also stepping out into an Israel in the time of the judges. As Clive told us last week, it was a time when everyone did as they saw fit. So whilst it might have been the law to allow those who were poor to pick up grain, there was no guarantee that the landowner would be willing to follow the law if you stepped into their fields. Ruth then had three strikes against her. She was so poor that she depended on handouts. She was a widow in a world where women relied on men. And she was an immigrant from the detested land of Moab. Ruth did not have a lot going for her, but she didn't give up. She persevered. She'd made a commitment to Naomi and she made good on it. This chapter is also when we're introduced to the character of Boaz. Boaz has much that Ruth does not have. He is not poor. He's a landowner. He's not married, or we're not told he is, but as a man, he would not have the vulnerability brought by widowhood anyway. And he was an Israelite on his home turf. This isn't to conclude that life has not demanded commitment from Boaz. I'm guessing it would have been a hard decision to choose to stay behind in Israel during the time of famine, as it seems he had done. Standing up for what was right in the time of judges, as we see Boaz doing, was also a brave and probably unpopular and dangerous thing to do at times. 
So both Ruth and Boaz show a faithful carrying out of commitments. Ruth to Naomi and Boaz to his God. I wonder if this is becoming more challenging in our society, where maybe we don't like to commit to anything too early in case something better comes along, where our desire for personal autonomy overrides long-term commitments when they feel too heavy. Or I wonder if, like Ruth, you feel you've made a commitment that is extremely costly for you to carry out. Or if, like Boaz, you're seeking to walk as a faithful believer, but there are days when you feel like you're going against the flow and when you feel like the impact you're having is minimal. Let's ask God to show us this quality of perseverance with what we've committed to, because we see this same faithfulness modelled in our God that we worship, who doesn't give up on us. Secondly, Wordle is a game which is in the public eye. It's on show and it's talked about. In Pakistan this week, the president was actually caught playing Wordle whilst a major political situation played out. <laughs> Most people, however, just want to show their result, share their results with their friends. In the same way, if we are believers, our lives are on show. We may or may not use social media to share parts of our lives. But what is certainly true of all of us is that we are all being watched. We're watched by children, parents, friends, neighbours, work colleagues. Every place where we interact with people, online or offline, is a place where people learn about what is important to us and whether our lives live up to our claims of faith. So returning to Ruth chapter 2, I'd like to highlight two places where we see the importance of living a life that stands up to scrutiny or a life of integrity. In verse 1, Boaz is described as a man of standing. In other words, he was both wealthy and he had influence in the town. We learn pretty quickly, though, that as well as being materially blessed, Boaz was a man who trusted God. We can see this in the way he greets his workers in verse 4, as well as the beautiful words he uses to bless Ruth in verse 12. Boaz follows the law handed down by Moses, even when it's inconvenient to do so, or he might lose money as a result. If he'd been an unscrupulous capitalist, harvesting right to the edge of the field to gain the biggest profit, Ruth would have found no help in this field, but would have been sent away. But Boaz is committed to the laws of protection that God has set up for the weak. In fact, Boaz not only follows the law, but also the spirit of the law. We see him asking his men to go even further and leave extra grain for Ruth in verse 16. In order for us to fully obey God's laws in line with what is on God's heart, we obey not only with our mouths, but with our whole lives. I love verse 12 that we read earlier. Let me just find it.
May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz notes in verse 12 that Ruth hasn't only come to help her mother-in-law, but has also chosen to put her trust in a new God. His prayer for her is that she is able to find that refuge that God provides to those who seek him. And as the chapter plays out, we see Boaz playing his part practically in showing God's blessing to Ruth for what she has done. I'm challenged here by how many times I might sit in church saying something or singing something with my mouth that may not carry out into action when I leave church. There's much we can learn from Boaz about integrity. Now, what can we learn about Ruth by watching her? Well, interestingly, as well as hearing Ruth speak in this chapter, we also hear her spoken about. Firstly, the foreman gives a report to Boaz in verse 6. He doesn't say a Moabitess as if no one would understand. He says the Moabitess. In other words, it wasn't the first time she was spoken about in that town. This Moabitess is known on the gossip train. Ruth would have had the reputation that Moab carried in Israel, a place where child sacrifice and prostitution were practiced as offerings to the gods. The whole town would have known just who Ruth was and would have been watching her, just as this foreman had done when she turned up in his field. His report to Boaz is highly favorable. You can imagine him watching Ruth extra closely, but she's worked hard and she's earned his approval. We continue to learn about Ruth from verse 11 when Boaz tells her what he's heard about her. There's gossip about Ruth and the gossip is good. Her character would have been judged on her arrival, even prejudged. But she overcame that by living with integrity. We can see that the strength that was growing as she persevered was showing itself in her character, which stood up to her words. I wonder what the gossip is about us when people find out we follow Jesus. Christians have a reputation that is often not very favourable. We're portrayed as hypocrites or narrow-minded bigots in the media. Believe me, when people find out we're Christians, they have a prejudged opinion of what we'll be like, and they watch us. I'm hugely challenged by a verse in 1 Peter which asks us to live such good lives among unbelievers that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. I want to be someone whose life is marked by integrity. I want to be the same person with my husband and kids behind our closed front door as I am this morning standing here talking to you. I want to be the same person if someone cuts in front of me on the pearly way as when I smilingly let the vicar go ahead of me into the church car park. (laughs) I want to be the same person posting on social media as I am texting my friends when no one can see. My longing is that when people look at me, they see an authentic Christian faith that is transforming my life. Maybe you're watching us online this morning to learn what you can about how we tick as people that follow Jesus. Our prayer in this church is that those who watch our services would see us reflecting God well.
So our last section, let's think about our lives as a journey. This is a fashionable phrase to use to describe our lives now. But honestly, the older I get, the more I can see my life twisting and turning behind me and ahead like a trail on a map. In Wordle, we know there's been a journey to successfully reach the word, but we don't get to find out very much about what the journey entails. We're simply told what people's results are. For example, I got my word in two goes out of six, but we don't get to find out what words were used to reach that result. Here in Ruth, however, we're given readers' privilege as we get insight into parts of the journey fitting into place that they wouldn't have known about till they looked back. We're told, for example, in verse 1, that Boaz lives in the place they've moved to. But for the two women, this is a joy-filled discovery as Ruth returns home with her arms full of grain, enough grain for two weeks of food, that's an ephah, And Naomi questions her in verse 19 to find out who their benefactor is. Not only is Boaz from the clan of her dead husband, but he's also wealthy, offering a path away from the road of misery that they're on. No wonder she bursts out in praise to God. Have you had one of those moments when you realize God has been putting pieces of your life puzzle together quietly behind your back? As Naomi looks back and sees God's hand behind this situation, she exclaims in verse 20, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. How different this is from what she said at the end of chapter 1, telling the people who surrounded her, the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I'm sure that the blessing of Ruth's presence and kindness, as well as the prospect of provision for their needs, meant not only could she look backwards and see God's hand of kindness in her life, but she could also look forwards with great anticipation as she realises this man is one of our kinsmen redeemers. A spoiler alert for next week, Boaz holds a life belt. We're all on journeys through life, and Ruth's God is the same God that provides for us today. Like Ruth, we may go through times that we can't see what's ahead, and the hand of God is hidden, or it feels heavy or punishing. But as we consider our life journey, let's do so by seeking to recognize that the God we follow is a God of loving kindness, who urges us again and again not to be afraid, but to trust our story to him. One writer says the protective care of God is a bit like a Hebrew word. It can only be read backwards. Have you looked back recently? Have you been encouraged by hearing someone's story? Or have you been helped by telling them yours? Each of us has a different journey but the same shepherd is looking for us and looking after us. It may have happened to you that while you were neck deep in a difficult situation, you could not see God's hand at work. But when you look back, the coincidences are too many and you discern God has been guiding you. Maybe this morning you feel as if you're deep in the middle of something that's too dark and desperate for you to see any good in it at all. 
please don't leave without asking one of us to pray for you. It would be my or John's pleasure to pray for you as you leave, or our pastoral care team would love to contact you. If you're online, there will be an email address that you can use. As we look back at how God has worked in our past, we start to recognize God's hands holding our future. As we look forwards, let's do so with trust. We walk different journeys, but if we're Christians, we live with faith. Henri Nouon writes, with the eyes of faith, we can learn from the events of our life and can receive whatever happens as from the hand of God. We walk towards a future that God already knows about. I'm really good at finding all sorts of worries and fears on the road ahead, the majority of which I later recognised didn't even happen. We live our lives nowadays at 100 miles an hour, but we walk as believers one step at a time. And we seek to trust that we will grow in strength through our struggles if we walk through them with God. You may or may not play Wordle, and your life probably won't be affected in the long term by your decision on this. But I believe that to decide to follow Jesus does have a long-term impact as you start to work out your faith by putting it together. The parts you do understand coming to shape the parts you don't. If you'd like to talk to one of us about this, then please do. Now, as I finish... Let's spend a few minutes remembering these life lessons. Firstly, keep on keeping on. Persevere, even when life feels tough and trying to trust God is an effort. Hebrews reminds us, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Secondly, we play to an audience, whether we want to or not. Let's ask God to help us play in a way that honours him. Matthew tells us, Let your light shine before people, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And finally, God is using all of our circumstances to weave our story. Proverbs 3 verses 5 and 6 give us a wonderful encouragement for how to live our life. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Let's pray. Jesus, we're praying to you this morning as the one who perfectly models the way we want to live. You show us what it means to never give up. You went all the way to the cross to die for us. You show us what it means to live a life of integrity. You are always wise in your words and your actions. Your story as you lived here 2,000 years ago was one which continues to impact worldwide today. Help us to see you in the pages of our Bible and take away this morning what you want to teach us. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk.
can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week. Thank you.